Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show, Mayor and Her Alderman special. A mayor and her alderman. Is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke sometimes. <laughs> and columns from our, I, I gotta say something it's not like it's like some like high times magazine it's chicago reader also yeah. columns from our very own ben jarofsky chicago reader chicagoreader.com and if you want to help out this program you can chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky j-o-r-a v as in victory s-k-y <laughs> It is Thursday, December 1st, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, no, he's not an alderman. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Tax Bill Thursday, and here's why. This property tax bills are going out, ladies and gentlemen. I have not received mine yet, but the papers are filled. Papers love scaring you with the property tax bill. It's just like it's a, this is a tradition in Chicago. The bills are about to come out. This bill is really late. You know, but there was a time in my life where I was utterly obsessed with property tax. Uh, you millennials were like in third grade when this was going on. So you're not aware of this obsession, this period of my lasted for like five years. It's when I come face to face with the assessment process in the city of Chicago. The fastest way you can come face to face with that process is by getting a huge tax increase. So I got a huge tax increase one time. I think it was like in the early O's during the early days of the Bush administration, the baby Bush. So I just went nuts. I took the deep dive. I was being studying uh, property taxes uh, and I became obsessed. And because I became obsessed, I wanted my readers to become obsessed and A lot of my readers didn't share my obsession with the property tax bills because if you're a renter, you've probably never even seen a property tax bill. My distinguished guest who's waiting to come on for many years was a renter. I think he's a homeowner now. He'll let me know if that's the case. No, he's still a renter. He's probably never seen a property tax bill. Renters, like... Rent, I bet so many show first Tuesday shows where young millennials will come up to me and go, Ben, the, property taxes is a boomer thing. It's not really relevant to us. I'm like, hello, <laughs> you pay rent. You think you, what you think your landlords that's going to pass the increase on to you. Duh. Hello, millennial. So property tax is a very real thing. Uh, today's bright one. Uh, has a story. Once again, the property tax bills, they're in two installment renters. So there's uh, the first installment that generally comes out in January, February, and the second installment is supposed to come out in August. Uh, who knows why they're late? There's some cockamamie reason. There's always some explanation. None of it makes sense why they're late. Maybe my distinguished guest knows why they're late. The county is late with the bills. Who knows? Anyway, the point is uh, the bills are finally coming out now in December, like three or four months late. The, all the municipalities desperately need this money. They're like dying for this money. And uh, so the bills are about to come out. And of course, uh, gentrification is a raging issue in the city, whether you want to uh, uh, realize it or not. And here's the headline. Property tax increases hit Hispanic wards hardest county treasure analysis shows. So I'm not going to do a really deep dive analysis of property tax bills at this moment. Got other things to talk about with uh, my guests, who you all know if you've read the little blurb at the top of the show, just like Dennis said, Andre Vasquez will be joining us. Uh, But the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, our tax system, our property tax system is insane. Our property tax system assumes that just because you live in a home in a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, your income means you could purchase a home in today's market. And that's just not true. 
Andre Vasquez, my guest on the show, he probably, even with his aldermanic salary, might not be able to afford the rising costs of housing in his north side ward. We'll see when he comes on and talk about that. It's there's not a correlation between the value of property and the ability of a person to pay that property in that neighborhood. Only with new, if you're a new homeowner, yes, you purchase, you pay the asking price. But if you purchase your property 20 years ago, your, your salary has not increased at the same rate as property has increased in this, in this city. So to base a property tax on the sale of new property is the city and county's way of saying, longtime homeowners, please leave. Get out of here. We don't want you anymore. That's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. We can try to pretend it's something other than it is, but that's like saying the sun rises in the West. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It rises in the East. <laughs> I think Kyrie Irving may say the earth is flat, but just because Kyrie Irving says the earth is flat doesn't mean the earth is flat. Okay. I mean, you know, you could say insane things, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't make them true. You don't want to run your government with a property tax that people can't afford to pay. Otherwise, you're going to force people to leave the city of Chicago. That's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. I've been screaming this at the mountaintops since roughly 2001, since my distinguished guest was probably at, I don't know, grammar school or something. I don't know where he was in 2001. He wasn't an alderman, that's for sure. And people just don't want to listen. I'll give you a little example before I bring on Andre. My whole family has moved out west. I've said this many times in the show. I do shows from Los Angeles a lot because my kids are grown. They moved. Everybody's all the millennials in Chicago are moving to California, ladies and gentlemen. This this is a reality that I've discovered. L.A. has something called acquisition based property tax assessment. In other words, the value of your property is based on what you pay for it whenever you pay for it. So if you purchase your property in 1985, as I did, you'd be paying an assessment based on that 1985 sales price. Just think for a moment, folks. Think about if you if you say you want to end gentrification in the city of Chicago, you want to bring it to a screeching halt. Uh, go to acquisition based prop, property tax. That'll pretty much end gentrification as we know it in the city of Chicago. Uh, at least it will curtail the impact of property tax on gentrification. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, I have a sneaking feeling that people in this city don't really want to end gentrification in the city of Chicago, no matter what they say about it. All right. That's enough. You'll hear me whining more about my property tax. I haven't got the bill yet. I just know it's on the way and I'll probably be crying and, passing the hat with various guests. Andre Vasquez, the alderman of the 40th Ward. It's been so long since you've been on my humble little podcast. Welcome back, Cotter. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Yeah, it might have been pre-pandemic. Maybe, maybe not, but it does feel like a while. It was pre-pandemic. Uh, and uh, so much uh, to talk about, uh, Andre. Uh, your first, you're ending your first term as alderman. Mm -hmm. uh, you're announced you're running for re-election. Uh, I presume you've gathered enough signatures uh, that you cannot be successfully challenged. Am I correct in that assumption? Go ahead. Uh, so we definitely got enough signatures. You know, the signature threshold is 473. We turned in 2640. Uh, so we could be challenged. I don't think we'd be successfully challenged. All right. Uh, so why don't you give folks uh, a little tutorial about your neck of the woods? Uh, and this will tie in. So we're going to have a little discussion about uh, Harold Washington and council wars and the, the role of the city council, the relationship between the city council and the mayor. Uh, Andre Vasquez beat a quote unquote. I hate to use this term for a guy that I completely oppose his entire political career, but a, a legend in Chicago politics. He's, had, he's looked to be unbeatable. Uh, Patrick O'Connor comes from a long line of, uh, of well-connected people uh, who ties to the daily old man daily. Uh, everybody, he was a floor leader for, um, for mayor's Rom and mayor's daily baby daily. Uh, and uh, as a result, uh, most people just assumed, well, he can't be beat. So Connor, he's just people will see that name and reflexively vote for him. Andre Vasquez won. Uh, so uh, in this rematch coming up, rematch in your run for reelection coming up, uh, 
real soon, Andre. Is there signs that Patrick O'Connor's forces are reuniting uh, around a candidate to try to uh, bring back their old glory days? So I, 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 I appreciate the characterization. I, uh, I don't know that they're trying to bring back the glory days, but we do see some looming of um, some of the folks we took on to get here. Uh, you know, the charters, uh, some other folks who might be looking to throw money in to see what they can do. Uh, there's definitely been, you know, there's recently a story about how some of the groups are creating packs now to try to get more moderates in council and try to see what seats they can um, attain. So, you know, it's, it's Chicago as always, and it's, it's never been being back. You know, uh, by the way, we talked about that a lot on the show yesterday, the pack uh, <laughs> that uh, some of Mayor Rahm's old cronies were putting together uh, to go after. I had a field day with this one yesterday, Andre, as they put it, they're going after the show horses because they want workhorses. And <clears throat> my attitude was, no, they just wanted petting ponies. If they're going to refer to the aldermen and older women as horses, uh, they wanted obedient horses that in exchange for their oats and their carrots did whatever the mayor wanted them to do. Uh, that's my read of the distinction that Mayor Rahm's allies make between war, uh, workhorses and show horses. What's your attitude about the distinction, distinction that somehow other people on the left uh, are sh- doing it all for show? Uh, and they're I, mean, not I, think, I think uh, a lot can be said about groups that support candidates, right? They want people to line up when it comes to their votes. And so I don't know that that's exclusive to one side or the other. Um, I think, you know, folks want to see who puts in work. I tell folks I'm a workhorse that likes to show their work, right? Like people want to know what they're getting out of their tax dollar. And I think something that people have seen me in council um, as I operate is I'll talk to anybody. We'll have a conversation. We won't necessarily agree but we'll always engage and do the work. And so if they're, if they mean what they say about people doing work, it should be independent of what ideological stance is, who's actually willing to have the conversations to move the city forward. Um, you know, but if it's just trying to see what they can get in, um, I think the people on the ground know which of their elders do their work and ultimately the ones that make the decisions. All right. Uh, in that line, you, you ran uh, four years ago, you're uh, on the left uh, social Democrat, uh, definitely on the left. I, I call a Bernie Democrat. I think that's accurate. Would you not say, uh, Bernie? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd say a, a, a Sanders socialist is probably Sanders socialist. Yeah, because because I think I think Bernie is is very democratic in decision making. Right? It's not just my way or the highway. He engages in a way that I think is a good model, and it's definitely something I like to follow. All right. Well, why don't you defend yourself then from some of my friends, the leftists who are very upset with you uh, because you voted for the mayor's budget about a year ago. I actually defended you. Uh, you'd be happy to know this. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I just love to irritate my friends on the left. Uh, but um, uh, so talk about why yeah. you supported the mayor when you have and why you opposed her when you haven't. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so I think first, um, you know, it kind of I don't think we do a good job of explaining how budgets work. It's our movement, left, right, or, or whatnot. <clears throat> the reason I say that is it's not binary. It's not for or against a mayor, right? On the one side, you've got alders trying to figure out what are we negotiating to get? What are we negotiating to win for people that need it in that particular budget? Anywhere from one to 3,000 AFSCME workers that are city workers would have been laid off during the pandemic to avert a property tax. Um, so on the one side, we're trying to figure out how, how to negotiate. On a mayor's side, they just got to find 26 it doesn't matter whether they're progressive, whether they're conservative, they're going to find their 26. There's no idea that you beat a budget, right? Cause if they don't have the votes, they just stall and wait until they do. So what we looked at during that second budget vote is that the mayor didn't have 26. And what I'm confident she would have done is laid off some of the workers to remove the property tax, gain conservative votes and would have got her 26 anyway. So I think some of what we were doing in negotiating to make sure that didn't happen, to make sure they weren't borrowing off of the cannabis tax, um, to make sure that the welcoming city ordinance wasn't being coupled cynically to part of that budget, um, is we negotiated to mitigate damage. Um, and I think that some of the critiques that came later about you know, the police budget being the concern don't seem to ring true when the subsequent budgets had larger police budgets and we had leftists voting on those as well, right? So I think it was more of a moment for the movement to learn what it means to handle budgets. And, you know, I'm just, I'm pretty straight up. And sometimes giving those kind of answers isn't what people want to hear either. 
Did you, I cannot remember, I should know this, I apologize uh, to all my listeners for asking a question without knowing the answer. Uh, but having said that, I'll ask the question anyway. Did you vote for the last budget, the mayor's last no, budget? I voted no. You voted, I voted no, no on the last one. You, yeah, okay, so you took the hit uh, a year ago when you voted for for the mayor's budget. You voted no. Why did you vote no this time around? So, so I'll, I'll kind of I'll play them all four out, right? Because you got four budgets you can kind of kind of check out. The first budget vote, I was a no, probably one of the first ones, right? It was very ideological. I was like, I don't agree with what this is. You guys can go find your vote somewhere else. The second budget vote, we were in a pandemic. The federal government wasn't giving us money. The fair tax hadn't passed. So we had to figure out how to balance a budget period. And that was the workhorse part of it. I'm like, okay, now it's not ideological. What do we do during this moment? Let's let's see the process out that led to negotiations to try to figure out how to balance that out. <clears throat> the third year, our office introduced the first independent budget from the city council side in about 30 years. Our office drafted it with interns so we could be informed on what best to do with the federal money. And because there was federal money, a lot of us the progressives were like, great, we're going to we're going to have a conversation about where that money should go. And we voted yes to get that to happen, right, to invest in all the things that we talk about. In this last budget, my estimation is the mayor thought that because she removed the property tax, it should have been a layup. But we were looking at it saying we, we could have a demolition surcharge uh, to kind of increase revenue. We can make sure we're further investing on mental health clinics, mobile crisis response. We still don't know what the money was being spent on for violence prevention when we had federal dollars. There was no proof even when we voted for that. Um, and then at the end, even to try to find a way to agreement, the last big fight was about the Department of Environment, literally changing the name from office to department so that the department would have the powers to actually do the things we want for a better climate, decarbonization, and a better environment. And she wouldn't budge on that. And so at that point, it's like, okay, you, you don't want to negotiate. So that's okay. You can find your 26, which you're going to do no matter what, but we can't support something that that you feel is significant when the people who reach out to us don't. Yeah. And uh, so there's an element of Chicago that's on the left. I'm probably in that group uh, most of the time uh, that will give you a hard time uh, if you like say vote with the mayor on an issue. Then there's an element of Chicago. There's probably a lot of people like this in your ward uh, who want peace or they're centrists and they don't like lefties. Believe it or not, they don't like me. I, I can't believe it, but it's true, Andre. So um, that's a significant part of the North Side voting block. What's that? Yeah, it's definitely a significant part of the 40th Ward, right? And so yeah. I need How do you to feel with those people. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think I had an understanding of the job once I got it that when people pay the tax dollars, their municipal government is customer service. Are you fixing my potholes? Are you fixing my tree trims? So what we did is we showed the work. I, I negotiated in the last budget, not this one, the one before it, to double the amount of tree trim crews and create a system where now your trees get trimmed block by block instead of waiting two years for it to happen, right? So I think the neighbors go, okay, you're not here just to speak from a soapbox. You're doing the work. And even when we don't agree ideologically, I engage with all my neighbors to hear them out and go, hey, here's why I see this a certain way. So for me, it's very much about creating open government, hearing from neighbors, having those conversations. And I think because we give them that respect, they go, okay, like, you know, we may not agree on everything, but you're willing to engage. And we know that there's that relationship and you get things done and you deliver. Um, so it's, it's been largely well, I mean, that the fights that we get in 40 are about dog parks because that's what it's like when you've got an area of town that's a little bit better off. And even in that, we have to have conversations to hear everybody out. So I think overall, we're going to continue to do the work. My votes are what they are. We continue to move the city forward. And they, they get both. They get uh, Leader Harris, uh, when we had uh, an event, said that they get two alders for the price of one in 40 because you get the one that does the services on the ground and a progressive legislator. And so, like, that's something that we want to keep continuing to do. Okay, so absolutely nobody in the city of Chicago would have predicted that uh, after one term, you'd be talking about tree trimming. When you first <laughs> ran for office, you were the hip-hop alderman. Let me just take people back in time. He was a hip-hop alderman because back in the day, uh, when I was watching the Chicago Bulls obsessively, which really hasn't changed uh, at all for this day, 
uh, Andre was doing uh, rap uh, and had his own career, total different career. When you ran last time, oh boy, Patrick O'Connor already talked about him, thought he was slick. He would start reading the lyrics of some of Andre's more controversial uh, songs to try to embarrass him and to scare all those 40th Ward homeowners. I'm so scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. Like, these people don't swear at home. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like, Patrick O'Connor doesn't swear at home. Just saying, folks. Uh, so is, is that even an ish? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to say, I, look, I think it was a fair thing to bring up back then. I think the way it was brought up felt a little disingenuous to me about the conversation. Um, I think it's equally fair now and important. I think when we see what pe- how people use language now, right? In Chicago, Kanye is probably the first thing that comes up when you think about how words cause damage, how they can be toxic. And so I think I had an understanding or I, I came to an understanding right in like my thirties of like, Hey, that's not a way to conduct myself. How do I impact other people with the words that I say? And it, I, what really the kind of throughput that I saw is that when you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel like you're not part of a community, all that resentment kind of builds up and you find ways to let it out in ways that aren't healthy. And so the way you really combat that isn't by being angry. It's by building the kind of community where you bring everybody in and so I, looking back at it, I mean, it's hard to say, but I'm a little grateful for the experience of having gone through that because we got to talk to the neighbors about it and they got to see who I am as a person, who I am now. And like, they got to see what growth and hopefully where redemption looks like. Because when, when I look at people now, you know, we got neighbors um, who, you know, they're extreme conservatives and I have to have the conversations with them. And similarly, I go, hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think maybe you're, you're coming at it from an angle of feeling like you're losing something rather than us being one community. And so, you know, it, it's allowed me the ability to be more patient, engage in those conversations. And you end up bringing people that you would think are typically from the right on board on some of these issues. And when you get that kind of supporting coalition, that's how you help change the city and change minds. All right. Fair enough. I doubt any of your opponents will be raising the topic uh, in this go around, but you never know. Uh, I, but what, what, what O'Connor was really trying to do uh, was to sort of position you as an alien and alien, alien. Wow. Mm. An alien that people should be afraid of. And this is very Chicago. Well, this is goes beyond Chicago. Darren Bailey just tried to do this skit like the governor. Right. This is the whole MAGA uh, playbook right now uh, throughout the country. But it's, I'm watching this happen in Chicago in this election cycle, uh, Andre, where yeah. it's be afraid, be very, very afraid. And there are candidates all over the city, particularly the downtown wards, who are going to like really tough law and order rhetoric. I will crack down on crime. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what to say about that. Um, because as I told you before in the show, I've watched this city crack down on crime, be tough on crime for 40 years. I've been living here and we yep. still have crime. I just wondered at any point, will the city of Chicago just ever like reconsider our entire approach to the criminal justice system? Or are we just going to continually being tough on crime? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, well, so there's two things because you kind of, when you, we went in with the whole, um, the alien kind of concept, right? I think the thing that that had me thinking was like racism looks different in 2023 than it did in 1960, 1970, right? Like you don't get the outright people in your face saying things. It's a lot more passive aggressive subtext. And so I think that is more of what you see when people talk about like alien or different, or I know in my case, the rap lyrics, it was like, you don't want those folks representing you, right? Like I think that was a little bit of the messaging, but I think, to your, to your larger public safety point, that's the problem. And I think we have to get good at having conversations that have a lot of hard truths to them, right? We keep seeing these cycles of violence every decade, right? The 80s, the 90s, the thousands, right? It always keeps resurfacing because we don't actually address the root causes. When you have people who don't have anything, who do generations grow up in environments that have not been invested in, 
there isn't the same access to education, there aren't the same opportunities, what do you think is going to happen? If you look at people that engage in crime, they're not born that way. You have to ask yourself, like, what do they have as a commonality? And every single one of them feels like they have nothing to lose. And that feeling happens from being in environments who aren't being invested in. On the other side of it, when you have incidents of crime, people justifiably feel afraid. They want answers. What are we going to do about it? Why did this happen, you know, in, in an area? And because politicians, and I say that as a politician, right, which I, you know, reluctantly say, right, they'll use the politically expedient thing and use the tough on crime rhetoric rather than being honest about the challenges that we're seeing and how we address it in the immediate and the long term. They'll just say, we're going to be tough on crime because it'll make you feel good if you're scared. And then I'll go to my next place and I'll say the same thing without actually doing anything about it. Right. And in Chicago, we've got, we found out recently $3 billion of your budget goes to the police department, right? You've got one department out of 36 departments in the city. When you have 40% of your, your, your corporate fund going to one department, your other 35 gets shorted. Right. So how do you deal with the big trifecta? Look, So I think in, in our current system, police should serve three core functions, investigation, apprehension, emergencies, right? What do we call them for? Cat stuck in a tree, homeless person, uh, somebody's got a substance use issue, there's a domestic fight. We don't fund the systems that can actually address that to take those things off a police officer's plate so they could focus on the core functions, right? And whenever we talk about it, oh, it's pie in the sky, it's these crazy leftists, Meanwhile, had we done that in 1980, in 1990, in 2000, we would not be seeing what we're seeing now because we would have developed those systems. So I would say the first time we've seen it happen in Chicago is when we got the federal money and the progressives, the socialist caucus, the Latino caucus, right? The black caucus got together to say, these are demands we have of this federal money. We need to see it spent on mobile crisis response, substance uh, use disorder help, mental health services, it's still not to the level that we want, but it's a beginning. And if we continue building that up, you'll see the return on investment going forward. So when you make that case and many, many uh, uh, aldermen or automatic candidates, uh, state reps, state centers come on the show and they make that people in the 40th world have thought of somehow or other convince themselves it was a good idea to elect the floor leader who orchestrated the passage of the parking meter sale. Just can't forget that, Patrick O'Connor. Uh, when you make that case uh, to uh, folks like that, uh, in the 40th ward, what's the response? Like when you make the case that about the long-term impact of these uh, issues on crime and how not police are not always answered, what is their response? So, so usually that response happens because somebody goes, Oh, you're, are you one of those defund guys? Are you defund? Are you for right? That's how they frame it because they go for like the bumper sticker version of the conversation, which, you know, we don't have these larger dialogues to talk about it. So usually I respond with that and they go, Oh, you're right. When they understand how much money goes out of their tax dollar. And what I say to them is, look, if you put that much money in any department and you didn't see a return, you would say, we need to look at that department. It's bloated. What's going on with it? But because we're dealing with emotion and visceral fear, which is justifiable, right? We don't dig in there. And that is our job to do as well. But most neighbors get that because I'm not saying it's a binary one or the other. It's that we have to get to the point where we can transition and allow the departments to do what they're supposed to do to help out. And if you don't do that, what are you getting for your tax dollar, right? So mo I think most neighbors, when we talk about it in that fashion, they get it. But what we need to do as, as leftists and as movement is how do we address the immediate, right? We look at the root cause, we look at the long-term. So the immediate's a bit more challenging, right? It's like we work with gang intervention teams of former gang members to say, how do you mitigate damage? And we've been successful in doing that. Um, we have to talk about how connected uh, communities that communicate are safer ones, right? Right now, your neighbors don't talk to each other. They're busy on their phone as opposed to knowing what Jimmy on the block, your, your little kid is doing, or how are you guys doing or checking in on each other. So by creating those kind of networks, that kind of community, you get to places where people feel better. The other thing we do in 40 is we send out the public safety notices and statements when things occur, right? So, um, part of what we're trying to build on with the um, ECPS um, council, right? The district councils 
is to be able to give neighbors the information that's based on data, not next door, not your citizen app, right? Which are kind of algorithmically ready to trigger you and buzz every two seconds. We let you know, here's what the incidents actually are. Here's what the investigations are yielding. Because if you don't tell people what's actually happening, the imaginations create something far worse and lead to more fear and tension, which is less safe for all of us. Uh, you mentioned the uh, new police uh, districts uh, that will there will be on the ballot. Uh, first time ever, there will be sort of governing councils. Uh, don't know much how real authority or power they have. Uh, they may be similar to the local school councils that we have uh, in every public school, ultimately. But they have a, a bully pulpit or a symbolic uh, role to play, definitely in the city of Chicago with policing. I think it's a... T- um, a sign of a, di- a trend happening in Chicago government. Love to get your overall thoughts on this. I call mm-hmm. it the small D de- uh, democratization of Chicago. And I feel this is a good trend. When I take a look yeah. at the Lightfoot administration, all those tough budget votes, she really only needs 25 because she would be the vote, the, the tiebreaker for some reason in the city. They can't do basic math, but whatever. Anyway, so um, so she really uh, only needs 25 votes to be very close. Uh, all kinds of people, lifelong uh, lackeys to the mayor, like Anthony Beal and my old friend Raylo standing up and uh denouncing tyranny in the council floor. Look, guys, better late than never is what I say, so I embrace it. But in general, uh, I've noticed, like, people are speaking out that mayor doesn't have nearly the power that Rahm and Daly had. I think it's a good thing. I think the elected school board is part of this trend, and these councils are a part of this trend. Uh, You are running for alderman. You're not running for mayor. Uh, So I presume that you agree with me uh, that this is a good trend, uh, for the city of Chicago, your thoughts on this? I, I think, I think no matter what position people are running for, that should be the right way to look at it. Right. Like what we call it in 40 is open government, accessible, transparent, accountable. So having, having folks like for the district councils for ECPS, let you know what's happening in your police districts as a neighbor, you just want to know. So you can hold it accountable. You're more engaged. If you know how your government works, you know how to hold it accountable in the long run. I, I think that to me, that is also part of a concern exactly as you framed it. When you look at the council in the term that we are in, it is the beginning, like the embryonic stage of an independent council, which is why it might appear to some like a circus, right? Uh, People start learning how to legislate. How do you build these coalitions of different groups to get to a council majority? But you're definitely seeing the independence and people pushing back on an executive branch. And so the the thing that's concerning about me or or that that I'm concerned about is, I think in the city of Chicago, we focus so much on the mayor that you might not understand the power a council has in pushing back no matter who's in the mayoral seat. And if we're not focused on all the different open seats this cycle, you might act not actually have the growth of the democracy you're talking about and might not get the fifth floor either. And then we end up moving backwards. And I think that's a, that's a very real concern for me in thinking how the city should be moving forward. Well, that uh, brings to mind something uh, that will always be on my mind. Uh, and that, of course, is the, the administration of Harold Washington. I was uh, even younger than you are now, Andre, if that thing is possible, when Harold was elected. Uh, it was such a huge moment in my life. People go, Ben, why do you keep talking about it? I don't know. It's just, you know how there's things in your life, Andre? I don't know if there's anything like this for you that are just so huge uh, and significant when they happen. And then everything that happens after them just pales in comparison. It's just not even close. And that's Look, what Harold Chicago. What's that? Jordan, the six rings, the blues brothers. There are things that you just know are that monumental. And Harold Washington is, and in my opinion, will always be the greatest mayor the city has ever had. And I, I think it's, it is why I, I've had conversations with our current mayor where there's disagreement on that. It ain't changing. Harold is the model. Yeah, by the way, that was a great comparison. To, like the Blues Brothers, an iconic Chicago movie, and MJ, who doesn't even live here anymore, but well, like he he could get elected tomorrow. Michael right, Jeffrey right. Jordan. Uh, so th- when Harold first got elected, uh, the white aldermen got together behind Ed Burke. Don't rewrite history, people. Ed Burke, the guy who made headlines and all these dopey articles in the paper about what a great legislator he was uh, behind Ed Burke and Eddie Verdoliak 
to battle him. They wanted to destroy the city. This is how deep racism in Chicago. They would sabotage the city so white people would not vote for Harold Washington and he would be defeated. That was their goal. That was their purpose. Uh, so that's pretty evil and sick and twisted. On the other hand, <laughs> always trying to look for the bright side, it was democracy. It was a division between executive and legislative. It was, I, I always say this with a little ironic smile. It was the golden age of democracy in the city of Chicago where <laughs> it's what a city, if that's the golden age. Uh, it's a heck of a city for Chicago. Uh, so your thoughts, reflections as a student of Chicago history, you saw Punch Nine, uh, the movie about Harold Washington, which should be required viewing for definitely for all aldermen at the very least. Uh, your thoughts about that uh, stage of Chicago and how we could use democracy, uh, rescue democracy from like the evil connotations of council wars. Go ahead. So I think, I think uh, on top of everything you said, it's also the precursor to Obama's treatment as president, right? You got to see a whole party do the exact same play. And so I think for me, it is challenging, but, you, but you're right. There's lessons to be learned, which is why I, in my first year, I think the biggest thing that gave me anxiety was like, Robert's rules of order. How are we actually working the council floor, right? And so I think... Those are the things that I look at. If you're a council body, what are your levers to make sure that you get change to come about? So if you look at like any council meeting, I'm probably the guy on the, on the council floor, literally going from seat to seat, trying to get signatures, working legislation, talking to people that you would not imagine. We'd be having conversations because of our ideological split. But it's because I recognize that it's not about personality or how what I what I think of a person depending on a piece of legislation you can get to 26 and the only way you do that is by engaging with all other 49 and and I think those were things that to me are again like the workhorse part of it of like hey I get what we want to change I got to know what the lay of the land is here on, on the field to know how to get there and I think those are clearly lessons that you see when you watch how the 29 moved unfortunately they were on the the wrong side of history in doing so, but clearly they were organized in a manner that got them to be able to make those changes. And I think similarly, you know, there have been a couple instances with the life administration that you've seen the council be able to kind of push and fight back. And, you know, she gets the 29 votes rather than 49 votes for budgets, right. As we've seen in Chicago before. And I think it's because you're watching the council learn that muscle. Absolutely. And this notion that somehow our mayor is more effective if he or she gets 49 votes as opposed to 26 votes is absolutely ridiculous in my humble opinion it's so chicago it's one of the dumbest things chicago does it's like a sign of a f if you have people just like lemmings walking off a cliff to vote for some dumbass idea how is that a sign of an effective mayor you voted what was it 35 to 5 for the parking meter deal across the board we now recognize andre that could have been the worst single deal that is the equivalent of the bears drafting mitch trubisky over patrick mahomes it happened in our lifetime yeah. Okay. Well, and, let's, and let's be honest, right? Those are white supremacist, patriarchal ideas of power that you've got this strong fist so everyone is in line as opposed to how much power it takes to have conversations with people who wildly disagree and put up wins together, right? If you, like, the thing that was very interesting to me that I enjoyed about watching Punch Nine and Joe Winston is a, a 40th Ward neighbor, the director, was when the, the council's pushing back on Harold and it feels like gridlock. And he starts putting forth legislation to improve streets and alleys and sidewalks. And they're blocking all of those. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to your ward. And I'm saying, you see why this isn't getting fixed? It's because your council member isn't working together as effective government. And those are lessons to learn. That it's like, we can't just be um, confrontational the whole time because we'll end up losing sight of what our bigger wins are. But I, I think we're getting better at it. And I think we've got a lot of really smart leaders in council that thankfully I get to serve with. And I think we're getting stuff done together. All right. I got to take this opportunity, a little self-promotion. Uh, you mentioned Joe Winston twice. I mentioned him once. He's director of Punch, uh, not, uh, Punch 9 for Harold Washington. He lives in the 40th Ward. Uh, he will be our guest at uh, the Promontory in Hyde Park. 
uh, on Tuesday, December 6th. Uh, Alderwoman Leslie Hairston will be our guest, and Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez will be our guest. We'll be talking about council. We're probably having a conversation very similar to one I'm having with Andre right now, only we'll have clips from the movie, uh, questions from the audience. It'll be our last first Tuesday for a while because my partner, Crime Maya, is very, very pregnant. Uh, she may give birth that night. Who knows? Uh, and so uh, we'll probably have to take a few months off. But I urge everybody to come on out. Uh, it'll be a, I think it'll be a great night. It, this like I cannot accentuate how great a movie this is. If you want to understand sort of the roots. Do you agree with me on this one, Andre? Just like the roots of Chicago politics. You really need to I, I honestly it. think it, it should be public school curriculum. It should be something every Chicagoan watches to really have an understanding. Like what we did, um, we took some of our crew from the campaign and we were, we had a Sunday that we were able to go in the morning and go, we're taking the whole team to watch. And I think they had a much better understanding of like why I move the way I move. Like Harold wasn't leftist progressive in a, in a kind of manner one would imagine. He was just a coalition builder and was fair in a way that I don't think people had seen before. Right. Like there's, there's a part where they talk about Harold coming into power and the black community being like, it's our turn. Now we're going to run the field. And and, and Harold was like, we're going to be fairer than fair. You're not going to be able to escape this fairness. And I think, you know, it's a hard line to walk. It's hard to be in the middle of that, having people from the left and the right tell you you're wrong because you're guided by this larger faith and community and coalition. And I think we need more of that um, in Chicago. I'm going to push back just a little bit on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll say this. Um, Chicago had been so unfair to black people mm-hmm. up until 83. It's just I, incredibly unfair. Harold said, I am going to eradicate this unfairness and inequity. And so in doing that, that scares white people like, uh oh, he's going to do to us what we've been doing to them. That's the mentality that's going on. I know that Chicago brain, Andre. I've been living here for four years. Yeah, that's real. That's that Chicago brain. Oh, he's going to give it to fill in the blank. And you know what word they use. And uh, what I'm saying is I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that if you're for a community, this is all of us, black, brown, everyone. If you're in a community that's been screwed over for generations, once you become once you get behind the steering wheel, it's not, it doesn't feel like you should be fair. It feels like fairness is we're running everything. The other side is getting nothing because of the treatment that we've got. But I think Harold understood how to move things in a way that he took into account how other people were going to look at it. Cause I don't think you can look at people who, who look at Harold now and have that kind of negative viewpoint, uh, but for those 29 and like their constituencies, your, your average neighbor who's not of the black community goes, Harold was a great guy and kind of, it's hard to be, he did it masterfully in a way that you go, okay, yeah, you're going to, you're going to move these things forward and we're not as antagonizing with each other. And I just, I just think it's yes. the battle rapper in me is different. The the person who grew and became like an organizer is trying to want to just take it to somebody's face. Now it's more, Hey, we can get this done. We have to have the conversations to figure out how to do it. Yeah. God, the battle rapper to you. I just, I, I forgot that that's what you used to do, man. You get somebody's I mean, face and go right at them. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably why I am the way I am now. Like in the past, my natural inclination would be to turn up. And now I'm like, you know what? I've, I've, I've been through that. It wasn't the healthiest for me as a person. Now I hear everybody out and I'm like, there's a path to get to point B. Here's how we do it. And, and, you know, it served me well and it served the neighbors well. And, and, and like I said, we haven't, that's what's cool about the council too. You have all those flavors in the council, right? You've got Byron that can turn up if he needs to, you got Rosanna who's able to bring treatment, not trauma and that energy. And so it's like, it's like this Avengers team of different progressives and different styles that I think together create the kind of Chicago we all want to live in. Yeah. No, I, I, I I hear you. Let's add uh, Jeanette Taylor. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Heart and soul to council. Uh, and uh, we, do, I got to tell you, uh, I must confess, we we do a show, um, Dave Glowitz and I, uh, once a month, where we we take apart the city council. I I 
and in all due modesty, I think it's a great show, but it's, it's definitely for geeks only. I mean, we take a deep dive, we play clips, we analyze the clips, we dissect them. You got to really want to understand Chicago. We go into the nuances of parliamentary procedure, Anthony Beal and Raylo playing their games. We explain them all that stuff. But there was one time you went too far. I get what I, I've been meaning to ask you about this. Like oh, when Raylo, Anthony Beal, they were doing a bunch of deferred public. I can't remember the issue. I, I really can't because there's so many of these oh, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you and Scotty Wagusback were like, this is uh, this is baby time. And I was like, come on, Andre. Come on, Scotty. The mayor does this stuff all the time with Defer and Publish. When Raylo and, and Anthony, and I admit they're late to the game. I admit that. So we'll get that one out of the way. They were they were rubber stampers for Rom and, uh, well, uh, Anthony Beal for Rom and Daly. Uh, but I, in this one, I was with them because it's like, the games the mayor has been playing with the her cockamamie parliamentary rules and all of a sudden creating <laughs> rules on the fly uh, just to stick it to Anthony Beal and Raylo, I thought was unfair. Uh, so I was kind of with them when they did the defer and publish. Uh, and and you said it was babyish, or Scotty said it was babyish. No, I, Go ahead. Okay, find find the time for for me and you ought to have the conversation. Watch the clip because I don't remember exactly, but I never have a problem with somebody doing the move. It's more like either they did it wrong according to the rules, like, come on, you guys are doing it just to kind of because the cameras are on as opposed to doing it, I think, or hadn't done the homework to do it properly. So it's more that of like, hey, I get that the cameras are here and I get you want to like get the piece. Sure. But if you want to actually do the move, like, you know, come on, we get paid to study and figure out how to do it right. So I think I think it was was probably quibbling about that. I, I would not argue or debate that you know that it's fine if they're doing it but i think at that point i kind of might have been exasperated in general all right probably was i it, it was a classic moment and uh i just i actually cannot remember i had to go back we like i said dave glowatz and i do this once a month uh and you've been on more than once because uh you're part of the the or you know the the debate uh you're not afraid to speak up all right uh let's move on to the mayor's race uh mm-hmm. you have a big decision to make so are you going to, this is what I call all my automatic guests, the David Orr decision. Uh, and I say this uh, because David Orr was the <laughs> alderman in 1983 uh, in uh, Rogers Park. <laughs> and David Orr, he was running for re-election. It was Harold. He had to decide, am I going to endorse Harold, Daly, or Byrne? Oh, I love doing this. And he was like, and I'm like... I'm like a 20 something year old Harold guy seeing stars in my eyes. Okay. Of course you're going to endorse Harold. He goes, Ben, you got to understand something. Okay. There's a lot of daily voters in my ward. There's a lot of bird voters in my ward. I want them all to vote for me. Okay. And then he said, <laughs> Republicans buy gym shoes too. You know, Ben, actually it was Michael Jordan. who said that. anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you going to pull a David Orr and uh, stay out? Or are you going to endorse uh, one of these mayoral candidates? Go ahead. So I, I think, one, I, I I appreciate your framing on it, right? Because I do want I want to find out where my neighbors are at. Like I need to know what the pulse is. Because when we talk to them right now, they kind of say we're open. Like I, I don't hear a lot of anger. I just hear go. You know what? At this point, we're open to see what's there, who's out there. Um, and so I I think we want to have as many of the mayoral candidates to come to forty to talk to our neighbors, to have events, to do forums so we can kind of hear it. Um, if you were to ask me, it is a difficult thing because you and I are both Herald folks, right? As a Herald person, I think my quick inclination goes to somebody who is actually part of that team, right, in that moment. And so that 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 kind of immediately my heart kind of goes that way, right? But then you look and you see, um, you know, one, and I'm referring to Chewy for those who don't know the background, right? But then you look at what Brandon's building up and CTU and the work that they're doing and United Working Families, and you recognize that it is not easy to build a kind of coalition that goes on the ground that, that that's that impassioned about that kind of change. Um, and I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it being real because it's not even between those two. Um, Cam, Cam Buckner, if you were to look at what he's talking about, looking at his resume, how he's showing up for transportation, right? His, his earnestness as a candidate, I think people kind of, because, because the talk is about other candidates, I don't think they, they see the value. I think Sophia King has shown a lot as well, as far as like her take on things, her willingness to stand up to the mayor. So 
those those are if you're talking about people, they kind of speak to me. But then when you're talking about a race, it's about a path to victory, right? How are you building the constituencies that get you over the top? If if you're looking to see to replace Mayor Lightfoot, right? Like how do you build that? And you know, then you're gonna see how people like Tunney still have say and a lot of the lakefront alders because that's a lot of the base there. So I think there's just so much involved in what it takes to get from point A to point B that right now it's less about, you know, everybody buys sneakers or whatever, but it's more about like, how do we take care of home base? If we don't not, if we don't take care of 40 and build up 40 the way we need to, because 40, just to be frank, is not the most progressive ward in the city of Chicago, but here I am in it, making sure we lead things forward that's my, that's my, that's what I'm more concerned about is it's like, I apologize for the karate kid reference, but if everyone's focused on this and Johnny comes and sweeps a leg, then what? <laughs> right. So we have to make sure the council's seats are where they are. And so, so right now I'm focused on making sure we do that. Well, I'm open to all the candidates coming to 40, having the conversations, hearing from our neighbors. And what I don't want to see is all of us on the progressive side of things being so divisive amongst ourselves that we lose no matter what like nobody does a better job of dividing us than us and so what i would prefer to see is that people understand and respect that everyone's got different candidates but ultimately we've got to come together should this come to a runoff and we have a candidate and and a thing that kind of um it's like a a heartbreaking lesson in me was when it was um bernie up against elizabeth warren up against Pete Buttigieg and you saw all the Bernie supporters doing the snake emojis and calling people rats. And then there was some sort of surprise when in the primaries, people don't automatically come together for Bernie. And so I think that as progressives in leadership, we need to be able to say to our people, we're going to have different takes on how to get to the top of the mountain. We can't be cutting ourselves off and being crabs in a barrel because then none of us get to where we need to get. And I just think that's something that's difficult to say it's easier to yell at somebody you disagree with on the mic than it is to be surrounded by people who agree with you and saying the tense, tough things that are reality. And I think we need to be better as movement at doing that. Well put. By the way, uh, the 80s reference, you can take the kid out of the 80s, but you can't take the 80s out of the kid with the karate uh, kid reference. I'll go 70s on you. Uh, your answer reminded me of an old song way before your time that you probably never heard of. And nobody has ever heard of except for people who had their ears glued to pop radio. And it was cut between two lovers. Hey, in your case, you're caught between like five mayoral lovers uh, and that one. All right. Uh, one name that you didn't put out there as a possible person you would support uh, as the incumbent, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and uh, so we'll close with me asking you your assessment. Uh, you Your rookie years uh, were spent with her rookie years. Uh, the summer of 2020 was a real tough summer. Uh, we, oh my goodness. <laughs> we had Ray Lowe on the show. That was when he had his famous confrontation with her on the mic. Uh, which we played many, many times and talked about many, many times. Policing issue. I was there. Yeah, you were there. You know what went down. Um, so what's your analysis of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's four years, uh, her first four years as mayor? Yeah, sure. Um, so first I'll say this. I think it's inarguable that she had the worst hand dealt to her of any mayor in the history of Chicago. You got a global pandemic, economic depression, civil unrest, right? That's that's objectively true. Um, it's also real that she gets, I believe, an unfair um, judgment because she is a woman, a black woman, and uh, LGBTQ black woman, right? Those are all real things. And I think that when we don't say that and we discount that, we discredit what the actual argument we're having is. All those are fair. It's also important how you navigate through situations. And I think the biggest thing that's been a challenge is the inability to build relationships during all this, right? So when Brandon puts out the, the, the first ad, everyone's like, yes, he builds bridges, not lifts them up. And that is so emblematic of the problem that when you've got a council of 50 elected officials, if you're a mayor, you're best suited in building 
relationships to figure out how to do how to win. Whereas in my experience, that hasn't been the case. It's just been um, it feels to me someone who feels like everyone is against her and is reacting in that manner, even when we're trying to just work. Like, hey, we may not agree on an issue, but let's negotiate. But every time we come up with an idea, it's blocked. It's it's in the case of like um, Gil Viegas, take your ideas and put put the name on it, right? As opposed to sharing in the wins. And so I think the spirit of that is the biggest challenge. You know, I think I think when you're that's that's the hardest thing for me to accept as a Chicagoan, right? In the time of a pandemic, you're talking almost Armageddon level, this is the time where you bring people together and for it to be even more divisive in that and harder to do the things that we all even agree on, that's the problem. And so, you know, as somebody who in my past was not the most woke, who was ignorant as well, like I grant everybody grace and the ability to grow and to learn, that just hasn't been my experience in the four years, right? Like I've never... You know, there've been times we disagree, but I've never been disrespectful. It's never been confrontational, just to be confrontational. But it's always feels like that's how it's received, even when it's like, "Hey, like, how do we literally just solve this problem rather than keep fighting about this stuff?" And so, I think we need leadership that that can do that, that can actually bring us together rather than divide us. Because if we can't figure it out together, we're all screwed. All right. Fair enough. Uh, and maybe that's where Chicago uh, will be heading in this next election. I don't know. That's plenty of time to talk about uh, like runoffs, et cetera, and so forth. I do believe with you that there will be a runoff. I do believe uh, that one of the um, uh, pivotal issues will be how mayors get along uh, with other people in the city of Chicago, other aldermen, other politicians, et cetera. I absolutely believe character and personality will be on the table uh, in this election uh, in a way that like it really wasn't for, I mean, Rom, everybody, nobody liked Rom. He was a thoroughly unlikable human being. Uh, and then he tried to use that to his advantage. Remember that the commercial with the yeah. sweater, uh, Andre, but he was so forced. We're seeing that now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Those are the ads we're seeing now. And so, so I think like, we need people. We don't need people to talk like Harold. We need people to live like Harold, that move like Harold, that build like Harold. And and that's that's what I want to see out of candidates. See, that's the thing about Harold. That's 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 the uh, MJ. Like, there's only one. Like he had that. But he would get mad. He had a he had a temper. He got mad at me more than one. And but then he would be like, ah, oh, forget it. Let's go. You know, it was it was over. Uh, he would then be charming. Uh, yeah. he, I, there's people like Harold Washington there, you know, it's like, Oh, we need another Harold. They don't walk through the door many, that often, Andre, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, well, and, and it's, it's just, it's about us individually being open to treating ourselves with that, especially, especially progressives and leftists, right? We all talk about love and community and unity and coalition. Meanwhile, we fight it out amongst ourselves yeah, and that, don't show the values we talk about. And it's hard. We all have that. So I think, you know, being able to breathe, to really build with each other. There's heralds out there and not even heralds. They're their own leaders. And we have a lot of them in council. We have a lot of them across government, but we have to learn how to build together. And I think, I think we, not only do we need to do it, I think we will do it. All right. Uh, all right. So we'll close with uh, a question that will bring on a duck and dodge. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So you you put a, this has nothing to do with who you want to win. I, this has nothing to do with you, but let's say you were a gambler and you had to put money down in Vegas. Who's in the runoff for mayor of all the candidates? You all know there's going to be a runoff. I, be, I believe there's going to be a runoff. So who's in the runoff? Go. Not even duck and dodge. I'm so I'm a worst case scenario planner that in my head, I'm like, yo, you could end up with Dallas Lightfoot or Willie Wilson Lightfoot. Then what do you do? Right. What does the city do? What does movement do? So I think that's why I'm so really focused on making sure we build up what we need to, because I'm so I'm focused on us dodging that multiverse reality, because then 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 what does that look like for the next four years? So I think I think that's that's what I'm looking at. You know, around this time, four years ago, nobody would have bet on Lightfoot. So I Uh, I think right now we just got to watch. Wait, time out. I got to do the math. It had four years ago, I had Rom dropped out of the race. I don't know. Uh, you race a good point. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, 
you could take the battle rapper out of the alderman, but there's always a little battle rapper in that alderman. You just drop the mic on me. Well, <laughs> got some bars. That's <laughs> <laughs> so nice. It's like nice battle rap. It'd be so, like uh, at the end, the only battle rap I know is at the end of an eight mile. And if Eminem had said to the other guy, you know, I believe your name is Clarence and you went to a uh, private school. Clarence has some really good parents. That's right. <laughs> I just uh, did my one battle rap lyrics, ladies and gentlemen, that I can do. Uh, Andre, it's always fun talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk to me and hope to talk to you real soon. All right. Definitely. Yep. Y'all All take right. care. That's Andre Vasquez, Alderman of the 40th Ward, uh, running for re-election. Thank you very much. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Andre Vasquez and Eminem will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Peace. Peace.